Good morning to you, EMU, and to those joining us from various locations. I am Celeste Thomas, Director of Multicultural Student Services and Chair of the MLK Junior Planning Committee. We gather this morning to celebrate the life and legacy of a great but not perfect man by his own confession. A man who chose to stand for what was right despite threats to his life, the lives of his family members, and those who stood with him. We celebrate today acknowledging the loss of a disproportionate number of black and brown bodies and the continued unholy ghosts of racism, anti-Semitism, and white supremacy which all reared their ugly heads in January of 2021. I think many of us breathed a breath of relief when 2021 ended, only to run right into an increase in the COVID virus, calling on us to please be patient just a little while longer. The state we find this country in is not the dream King envisioned our theme for this year's celebration. History will have to record that the greatest tragedy of this period of social transition was not the strident clamor of the bad people, but the appalling silence of the good people. And that was Martin Luther King Jr. stride toward freedom, the Montgomery story. The video you saw earlier was a combination of the civil rights tours that have been conducted by Multicultural Student Services Office, as well as our recent trip in December uh, with the Anne and Emmett play to Washington, D.C., to both the African American Museum on Art and Culture and also to the Holocaust Museum. So we took a group of students there to have that experience so that then we could pour into uh, the play, um, Anne and Emmett, and I think Mission Accomplished. My pastor reminded me of the quote, silence is golden. She also shared that when others are being harmed in any way, shape, or form, that silence indeed is not golden. As a, ch as a child, I learned that children are seen but not heard. So I'm asking you, why are you silent? Are you silent out of fear? Fear of losing your status? Fear of losing face? Fear of losing your privilege? Fear of emotional or physical harm? Your silence could contribute to the loss of your soul. I'll say that again. Your silence could be contributing to the loss of your soul. Are you willing to sacrifice your soul by remaining silent? We must use our voices to create change for those who may be suffering in silence. In Anne and Emmett, they would wind up in a place called memory because someone remembered who they were. This is in line with the Black Lives Matter movement, which reminds us that silence is violence. 
So we must not be silent and must continue to remember their names. Ahmaud Aubrey, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, Dante Wright, Botham John, Tamir Rice, and Michael Brown, to name a few. Let's remember their names. Trey Songs challenges our silence by asking the following in a 2020 riots, how many times? How many mothers have to cry? How many brothers gotta die? How many more times? How many more times? How many more marches? How many more signs? How many more lives? How many more times before we loose the silence? I always hear the words of Pastor Martin Niemöller during the Holocaust. And he said, when they came for the socialist, I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. When they came for the trade unionist, I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. When they came for the Jews, I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak up for me. When we remain silent, evil prevails. Fear supports evil. We are communal peoples and should always move towards our better selves to live in harmony with compassion, humility, and care for others. Silence is compliance, so I will not be silenced. Thank you and welcome to our annual Martin Luther King Jr. celebration of legacy service and education. At this time, we will have our invocation by our campus chaplain, Mr. Brian Mark Martin Burkholder, followed by a selection by Dr. David Barry, our program director of music here at Eastern Mennonite University. And then we will hear from our president, Dr. Susan Schultz-Huxman. She will bring reflections. Thank you. On this Martin Luther King Jr. Day of Learning, Service, and Legacy, with the emphasis on the theme just mentioned by Celeste Thomas, I find myself drawn to this piece from Margaret Wheatley, Turning to One Another. There is no power greater than a community discovering what it cares about. Ask what's possible, not what's wrong. Keep asking. Notice what you care about. Assume that many others share your dreams. Be brave enough to start a conversation that matters. Talk to people you know. Talk to people you don't know. Talk to people you never talk to. Be intrigued by the differences you hear. Expect to be surprised. Treasure curiosity more than certainty. 
Invite in everybody who cares to work on what's possible. Acknowledge that everyone is an expert about something. Know that creative solutions come from new connections. Remember, you don't fear people whose story you know. Real listening always brings people closer together. Trust that meaningful conversations can change your world. Rely on human goodness. Stay together. It's turning to one another. 2002, Margaret Wheatley. Join me in this prayer of invocation. Gracious God, spirit of change and transformation, draw us to this work of unlocking silence and dislodging apathy and indifference. Activate us for impassioned engagement with one another across cultures and ideologies. Stir us to genuinely seek to see, hear, and understand what is needed and then work toward meeting these needs for a more just and compassionate world. We open ourselves to divine guidance on this shared journey. So move in our midst this day and every day in ways that cannot be missed or dismissed. And this we pray along with others commemorating Martin Luther King Jr. Day across Virginia, the nation around the world. We pray seeking grace and with gratitude, but also an adequate dose of disturbance. Amen.
Wow, can we just uh, pause and uh, again lift up uh, Professor Berry in his beautiful rendition of Lift Every Voice, the Black National Anthem. Good morning, EMU community, and thanks everyone for joining us in person and online, even in the midst of an unusually severe winter storm here in Harrisonburg that has literally piled on our ongoing vigilance in keeping the pandemic and the new contagious variant at bay. But like King, who had his own sense and style of perseverance in the face of obstacles, we carry on, come sleet or snow, in shining our light, our educational mission as a faith-informed peace and justice university. At EMU, we take the full Martin Luther King Day to commemorate, reflect, serve, and take inspiration from the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in word and deed. Yes, we take the day off so we can take the day on. So while there are no classes, there is lots of engaged learning going on. Thank you, Celeste. Thomas, Director of Student Multicultural Affairs, for you and your team's assembling of these robust educational opportunities to promote civil rights and social justice in King's honor, events that began on Friday and continue through today. My, what a difference, Celeste, you have made to raise the bar of awareness and participation on these Martin Luther King commemorations over the past four years. Thank you, Celeste. I want to thank also Mayor Reed uh, for her pioneering leadership of the city of Harrisonburg and her wonderful support as an EMU trustee and as a dynamic ambassador of EMU on special occasions such as this one. We are honored by her presence and her words and by her fantastic portrayal of Mamie Till in the play Anne and Emmett produced by EMU this past weekend. And thank you to our guest speaker, Glenn Guyton. I know he will be more formally introduced in a minute. He is our executive director of Mennonite Church USA. EMU is an Anabaptist institution officially connected to MCUSA. Glenn brings over two decades of expertise and training in anti-racism and cultural competency. And I hope many of you were able to join online yesterday uh, to engage Glenn's dynamic and dare I even say prophetic sermon to us on another Martin Luther King event. As your president, I want to briefly highlight some of the reasons why we honor Dr. King with a national holiday and how his life is a special model for us at EMU. It is important that we observe a national holiday to commemorate MLK. His legacy as a civil rights and peace leader in the 20th century is simply unparalleled. 38 years young, King spent most of his adult life performing amazing advocacy for civil rights and nonviolence. 
As many of you remember, Martin Luther King achieved worldwide acclaim beginning in 1956 when he led the first nonviolent Negro bus boycott in Montgomery, Alabama in protest against discriminatory racial practices brought to dramatic attention by Rosa Parks a year earlier. From that point to his untimely death just a dozen years later, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. became remarkably successful at mobilizing blacks and whites in the civil rights and peace movements to meet violence with love from a biblical standpoint of passive resistance. In 1964, at the age of 35, King became at that time the youngest recipient of the Nobel Peace Prize. He was the first person in the Western world to have shown us that a struggle can be waged without violence, so said the Nobel Committee chairman at the time. In all, King traveled over six million miles, spoke over 2,500 times, and wrote five books for civil rights and peace in his short life. Nothing short of astonishing. This year's Martin Luther Day theme centers around King's words from Stride Toward Freedom, the Montgomery story. King said this in 1958, history. History will have to record that the greatest tragedy of this period of social transition was not the strident clamor of the bad people, but the appalling silence of the good people. The appalling silence of the good people. That's a haunting reminder that while silence is sometimes associated with politeness, naivete, or powerlessness, for people of privilege, it is more often and tragically associated with fear, cowardice, and even a faltering faith in God's commandment to love our neighbor as ourselves, or even to comply with the spiritual principles upon which this country was founded to evoke the better angels of ourselves to form a more perfect union. Sometimes the moral courage of breaking silence takes the form of images, not words, photos, not talk. The celebrated photographer Gordon Parks, the pioneering African-American photographer for Life magazine, a filmmaker and civil rights activist, said this of pictures. I have come to believe that no art form transforms human apathy quicker than that of photography. A landmark example from the civil rights movement shows the prescience of Park's belief in the power of visuals. Once in the midst of a heated civil rights protest with King in the mid-1960s, a photographer watched as a policeman beat a young civil rights worker. The photographer became so upset at what he was filming that he stopped, poised to intervene. The Reverend King reminded him of the importance of his work, saying this, Unless you record the injustice, the world won't know about this child getting beaten. I'm not being cold-blooded about it, 
but it is so much more important for you to take a picture of us getting beaten up than for you to be another person joining the fray. Martin Luther King had learned that lesson painfully from a tragic moment in the infancy of the civil rights movement. In 1955, a 14-year-old boy named Emmett Till was brutally murdered by two white brothers in Mississippi. For what? For whistling at a white woman. The all-white male jury later confessed that not a single one of them doubted that the defendants were guilty. Yet they emerged within an hour of deliberations to proclaim the brothers not guilty. But it was not the corrupted verdict that outraged the nation and galvanized the civil rights community. As much as it was Emmett Till's mother, Mamie Till's decision to hold an open casket funeral and to have her slain son's body photographed for all the world to see, to see how his murderers had left his body pulverized. It made all the difference. Suddenly, the nation and the world was outraged and activated for action. In our contemporary context, note how some judges have actually turned images and silence into a powerful reckoning moment designed to confront jurors and court watchers with evidence of just how vicious and deep-seated racism can be. Judge Peter Cahill in the Chauvin murder trial of George Floyd agreed that the trial of Derek Chauvin should be broadcast. Minnesota trials are never broadcast. It took a pandemic and a courageous decision by Judge Cahill to change that over the objections of the prosecutors. As a result, many organizations across the country, including even the New York Stock Exchange, observed eight minutes and 46 seconds of silence, a long, uncomfortable stretch of silence in observance of George Floyd's death at the knee of Derek Chauvin. Judge Timothy Walmley, in the three men on trial for the murder of Ahmaud Arbery, asked the courtroom to stop and observe in silence just one minute, just one minute of the five minutes that these three self-appointed neighborhood vigilantes took justice into their own hands in chasing down, tormenting, and finally killing Aubrey. Silence, indeed a, a double-edged sword. On the one hand, silence in the face of wrongdoing is a moral failing, or in Martin Luther King's words, a great tragedy. On the other hand, silence to dramatize the revulsion of racism is rhetorically a masterful way to advance a reckoning on race. EMU community, may we embrace the Martin Luther King Day of learning, service, and legacy. And may we remember that the best evidence, the most democratic approach, the most Christian way is not vengeful and filled with the desire for violence or insurrection. It is rather inspirational peaceful, and filled with agape love. And sometimes 
that message of social justice does not use words, but images and silence. Thank you, Susan, for your thought-provoking reflections on this day and on the movement. At this time, we will have an artistic expression by Ezriana Prelo, followed by reflections from Ms. Dina Reed, our mayor. Thank you. Hello, I'm Ezriana Prelo, and I am the graduate assistant for student life, um, which entails multicultural student services, international student services, and faith and spiritual life. I will be reading a poem titled Speak Up by Gia Rose. When you take a stand and say what you choose without hesitation or being confused, not holding a fear of what others might say, but to say what you mean in every way. It liberates your soul by setting you free, no longer a prisoner of insecurity, but a teacher to those who sometimes hold back by seeing in your strength what they lack. Releases their fears and doubts that they may hold and helps them now see it's okay to speak and be bold. Just do it with dignity, kindness, and love. Give all of your fears to our friends up above. Don't compromise yourself to collude with the rest. Speak truth in your words and remain at your best. If others don't like the control that they lack, because of your strength to speak the truth, they can talk back. Let that be their issue. Don't lose who you are. Keep making that stand and you're sure to go far. We all have the right to express our beliefs, our ideas, our opinions, our happiness, and our grief. But we must allow others to do just the same. Respect them and their wishes without drama or pain. To allow them to shame and belittle your voice, say it's not okay, I don't mind, I don't like your choice. And the more you keep quiet, the more they control, giving up who you are so that they can feel whole. It doesn't make sense to allow this to be. I'm no better than you, but you're no better than me. So keep trying to find that strength deep within and let old habits go and new ones begin. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. On behalf of the city of Harrisonburg, I would like to wish everyone a happy Martin Luther King Jr. Day. To President Susan Schultz-Huxman, it is always a pleasure to partner with you 
and to Celeste Thomas, my sorority sister, thank you so much for inviting me to bring reflections on behalf of the city of Harrisonburg. It is always an honor for me to stand with you in person or virtually. This morning, we come together to reflect on Dr. King's life and legacy as we do every year at this time. And as I was reflecting on what I wanted to share with you this morning, I kept going back to what I shared yesterday at the community church service. And my spirit is keeping me in that space with the hope of reaching others and igniting a spark of action. As we gather virtually on this day of celebration and reflection, there has been a noticeable difference in the past two years. The COVID pandemic has robbed us of so many critical in-person occasions, stolen lives and livelihoods and exposed disproportionately the systemic injustice that still endure in our nation, even 54 years after Dr. King's death. For the past two years, we have been fighting for our lives and yet we are amid another surge. But not only have we been fighting a global pandemic we have also been fighting racial disparities and discrimination. And to some tiredness has set in, or should I say silence has set in. Some may be saying, why say anything? Or I have said enough, or no one is listening. Nothing is changing. Or scriptures say, open your mouth. Proverbs 31, eight, nine, says, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. Open your mouth. Now is not the time to stay silent. I know we are tired. I know because at times I am tired, but if we remain silent, it can be a betrayal. Dr. King tells us, history will have to record that the greatest tragedy of this period of social transition was not the strident clamor of the bad people, but the appalling silence of the good people. Dr. King presented the question that we all must ask ourselves, what are you silent about? Dr. King warned us to refrain from keeping silent, to speak up when we encounter injustice. Dr. King reminded us not to sit on the sidelines of life and watch injustice. Instead, we need to speak out and consciously push back against it. All too often we complain about injustice and prejudice. We watch as the rights of others are trampled or erased but we choose to remain silent. I believe the spirit of Dr. King's movement guided many of us, especially the past two years. Dr. King gives us the blueprint we need for us not to sit back and be silent. So as we celebrate another MLK day, let's be determined to speak up and speak out against all wrongs that will marginalize and discriminate against anyone based on race, gender, social economic status, or any other superficial dividing line. 
So on this day of service, I hope that we continue to work together, that we continue to love and respect one another, that we continue to stand for what we believe in our core is right. I hope you continue to be our bridge builders, moral compass and peace builders of the Valley to my EMU family. We have much more to do. Thank you for having me here this morning. It is always an honor to stand before you. And again, happy MLK Day. Thank you very much, Mayor Reed. And to my soror, always thanking you for coming into spaces uh, where I am. I appreciate it. At this time, we will have the introduction of our speaker, followed by a selection by Dr. David Barry. And then following that, the next voice that you will hear will be that of Glenn Guyton, Executive Director of Mennonite Church USA. Glenn Guyton is Executive Director of Mennonite Church USA and is the first African-American to serve in this position. Guyton has years of executive experience coaching leaders in cultivating relationships with diverse volunteers and donors. With over 20 years of training in anti-racism and cultural competency, his initial, his, um, initial, he was initially hired to work with the denominations, racial ethnic groups, to help MCUSA reap the benefits that come with, the, with being more diverse, inclusive, and culturally competent. As an international speaker, Guyton enjoys connecting with youth, young adults, and organizations seeking to stay true to their mission while navigating an increasingly diverse environment. His most recent book is Ideal, Discovering Your Call in a Cluttered World. Guyton holds a Bachelor's of Science degree Bachelor's, Bachelor of Science degree in management from the, US, from the USA Air Force Academy and a master's degree in education from Re Regent University. He's a member of San Antonio Mennonite Church in Texas.
right. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Barry, for that. I really enjoyed that. I wish I was there in person. Thank you all once again for having me. Uh, bring you greetings from San Antonio, Texas. Uh, Celeste, thank you for having me as a part of this program. Uh, Mayor Reed, again, it's great to share this platform with you. And of course, President Huxman, thank you for all that you do there at EMU. I feel like I'm part of the EMU family. Spent many years uh, in Virginia and was also on the uh, Board of Trustees there for the seminary at one point in time in my, my career. So let's get started. The year was 1985. And I was a sophomore in high school at the time when the song Voices Carry hit the airwaves. And by airwaves, I mean uh, MTV. Uh, this was before ridicul ridiculousness took over uh, MTV. MTV used to show music videos 24 hours a day. I know that's hard to believe. Uh, but the song by the group Till Tuesday details the singer's turmoil in an abusive relationship. And uh, you can check it out uh, on YouTube when you get a chance. But the song is about a woman being silenced by her, her man. And I think the, the song is a testament to the nefarious power of silencing someone's voice and the freedom that comes when we can speak our truth, uh, when we can make both our pain and our passion known to the world around us. So if you aren't familiar with the song, uh, some of you that are maybe a little younger, a little older than me, the song goes like this. It says, I try so hard not to get upset because I know all the trouble I'll get. Oh, he tells me that tears are something to hide and something to fear. And so I try so hard to keep it inside so no one can hear. And then it goes into this haunting chorus of hush, hush, keep it down now, voices carry. And at the end of the video, uh, the, the young woman finally breaks free. She stands up in the middle of a crowded uh, movie theater and she lets her voice be heard. She shouts out, and you know, it's a voices carry. And so as we think about our, our theme today of, of silence, it's important that we are able to have that moment where we can stand up and shout to the rooftops and let our voice carry. Our voices do make a difference. And you have to believe that if you want to live into this legacy of, of Dr. King, if you want to be a difference maker uh, in this world. One of the quotes I want to share with you is from John Stuart Mill a British philosopher, and it says, bad men need nothing more to compass their ends than that good men look on and do nothing. That's all that needs to happen for evil to endure in our world, our society, and our communities. Silence is a joy for bad people, not just bad men, but women too. The status quo is a place of refuge for, who, for people who don't want to change and are not willing to give up anything for the benefit of their fellow human beings. When things remain the same and, and don't change, someone usually suffers. Today, we are here to celebrate the legacy of, of Dr. King. Uh, Dr. King was an activist who the FBI and our government routinely tried to silence. They feared his influence and the disruption that he was causing in society. Ultimately, Dr. King's 
uh, message was silenced by an assassin's bullet, but his message of hope lives on. It lived beyond him. That's the power of, of our word. That's the power of vision that it can even live on beyond us. And I'm thankful that Dr. King utilized his voice in a way uh, that brings hope and transformation to our world. You see, we don't always have to look at our enemies or people that are out to get us uh, when we think about silencing. Sometimes the most deafening silence comes from our friends, our family members, or those uh, who protest, who profess to love us in some manner. Now we've used this quote quite a bit. It says, history will record that the greatest tragedy of this period of social transition has not been the strident clamor of bad people, but the appalling silence of good people is what Dr. King said. We've shared that over and over again, how appalling that silence can be. You see, it's not the devil in the red suit that should activate our spidey sense. Sometimes our so-called allies can do the most damage uh, to our efforts to bring about much needed change. So as we think about the work of Dr. King, as we reflect on the civil rights movement and the movements of this decade, I have a question for you. Where is your voice needed? Your challenge is to start speaking out, acting out. That challenge is not just for the students, but it's for you as faculty, as you, it's for you as staff, as you, it's for you as members of the community. Where do you need to speak out? That opportunity is there for all of us. Sometimes we look upon these moments as, as moments of, of history, but it's time for you to make history. As a matter of fact, you're already making history. What will be written about you and your role in shaping the culture for the next generation? I'm sure Dr. King didn't start off uh, looking to make history, but he made history. He wrote history as he lived his life. The history we will re read about tomorrow is being written now. As we speak, this very second, while you are, uh, are at home watching uh, Squid Games on Netflix or The Witcher, while you are Instagramming or metaversing, history is hap happening. And what will they write about you? So as we think about history, what, what is it, right? What is history? According to the American Historical Society, most people believe that history is a collection of facts about the past. And this is reinforced through the use of textbooks and, and teaching. Sorry if I'm offending any history professors out, th out there, but they are written as though they are collections of information. And in fact, history is not a collection of facts about the past. History consists of making arguments about what happened in the past on the basis of what people have recorded in those written documents, cultural artifacts or oral traditions of the time. And sometimes history has a, a voice of a, a place of silencing certain voices. And so it's important that we re, that we write, that we record, that we post about our history. 
Think about the things that are important that are going on in your lives now, the difference that you can make. It's our responsibility to capture that history, to tell our story, to be a part of the narrative as we live our lives, as we seek to make changes and to ensure that our histories aren't whitewashed or erased in, in ways that are not helpful in order for us to achieve our goals. The third thing that we need is uh, we need ride or die allies. That's right, I said it, ride or die allies. We need people to take risks in this movement. We often talk about the civil rights being, movement being nonviolent, but it was quite violent. It was quite violent. Now the violence was one-sided. Don't forget that. But the, one of the things that we said today was Dr. King wanted to make sure that the violence that happened in the movement was captured. That it was more important for this photographer to take pictures of the violence than to intervene. And so Dr. King was someone that strategically used violence, but he also knew that he had to put his body at risk. So we need ride or die allies. We need people to get involved in the fight. Now, I do believe that white people have the power to end racism. I believe that. You see, if council culture truly existed, racism would have been counseled a long time ago. White Americans and other people with socioeconomic status have to be willing to give up something in order to have a more just and equitable society. But that's where silence comes in. But what happens when marginalized groups start to gain traction in our society? We find a way to silence them. How do we do this? Now I want you to think back. Now think about your life and think about the power that you have. How do we silence these marginalized groups when they come to power? Well, first of all, we change the rules of the game, making it harder for those voices to be translated into positive energy. Look what's going on with the Voting Rights Acts right now. Second, we change the, def the definition of good or godly to benefit us. We start asking questions, is that a way that a Christian should act? Is that behavior acceptable? Well, we must be civil. Why, we're all Americans. Why? I'm a patriot. We change the definition of good or godly to suit our selfish ends. And then what we do, you know, when we want to silence and marginalize, we say, hey, be patient. It takes time. We're going to get there. We can't get there overnight. We have to protect the institution. We can't sacrifice everything. Be patient. You're going to get there. And then we do things to mask the symptoms while at the same time feeding the disease. We do everything uh, possible in, instead of attacking the power. You know, one of the things I thought was funny is that we've uh, uh, changed the name of the master bedroom to the owner suite, right? Is that gonna fix racism? Now, you may really like that, but to me, that's one of the things, hey, let's just paint over this superficial thing believe the, the real disparities of maybe the housing crisis where poor people can't afford houses or discrimination when it comes to loans. Let's not attack those things, but let's rename the master bedroom the owner suite, and that's going to fix the issues that we have in our society. And then we hand out uh, platitudes, like the government handed out free cheese in the 1980s. You know, we, hey, it's, you know, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm so sad about what happened 
Oh, you know, it really just hurts my heart. You know, we're going to get there. I'm, I'm there with you. But we don't make any real substantive change. We don't put ourselves at risk in order to get to the next level, to get to the next stage of this, to really make a difference, uh, to allow voices that have been marginalized to be, be heard. Number four, the thing is, as we think about silencing, I want you to forget Twitter. And this is, this is what I mean. Twitter has its place, right? Twitter, social media has its place. It's, it, it, it gives us a, an, uh, it brings our attention to an issue. But, but that's it. It doesn't go to the next step. But it also creates these polarizing kind of funnels and where we get our information. You, you know, we turn to CNN, we turn to Fox News. And, and what happens is we get this activism ADD. Oh, is this important? Oh, is this important? Oh, is this important? Wait, maybe I need to go over here. Maybe I need to boycott this. Oh, uh, maybe I need to buy this. Oh, maybe I need to hashtag this. Maybe I need to tweet this. We, we, we have to get focused in this, this fight. If you understand anything about the Montgomery bus boycott uh, that we talked about earlier, I think uh, Dr. Huxman mentioned that, that took a long time, a long time for change to happen. It took a lot of dedication uh, from, from blacks and from whites uh, in, in order for that boycott to be effective. It wasn't a weekend Twitter hashtag. No, it took uh, you know, a, a year or more. It took months for these things to, uh, for change to happen. The civil rights movement was, was, was a long time coming. And, and so when we think about Twitter, social media, and these things, we, we have the sense of immediacy, uh, a, a sense of urgency sometimes, but then it quickly fades. We have to be in these things for the long haul. We have to educate ourselves. We can't get all our, of our information from the social media algorithms, young people, old people. We can't get it all from CNN, from Fox News, or your preferred news source. We have to read, we have to study history, we have to write history, we have to talk to people that have been there before us, we have to talk to our, our elders, we need to listen to the young people. We have to communicate with one another, real time, face to face. You have to see the pain on my face to understand what I've been through. You have to hear my stories. I have to tell you my story in order for us to, to grow and move forward as, as a people. The other thing I want to share with you today is we, we got work to do. Uh, it ain't settled yet. And, I, and I'm saying it that way for a reason. It's not settled. We still have work to do. There's a long way for us to go. Uh, I grew up in the 80s, you know, fight to power, uh, that movement at the, you know, I was at the tail end of the civil rights movement, you know, and I thought things were going to be different. You know, I, maybe I kind of is, was part of the generation that felt like, hey, we fixed it all. Dr. King did it all. Now we're going to live into the glory days and the excess of the 80s and, and the 90s. I lived through all of that. And then the 2000s came, we said, hey, this thing is not fixed. So we have work to do. Even in our Christian context, I see the, the polarizations that are uh, happening in our society and, and how our theology and, and our doctrines are, are so uh, framed in this Eurocentric framework that, that I can't see God you know, in it for myself. How do I relate to this, 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 this God that it's been wrapped in uh, the American flag and patriotism and, and is, is, is white and looks like Fabio. How can I see 
myself in that. We have a long way to go. We have work to do to understand that we're all created in God's image, that we're all God's people, that in order for, for us as a nation to prosper and thrive, we have to get there together. I said we, we are under this false understanding that we are this independent nation. And I said, no, we are an interdependent nation. That it took all of us to get to where we are. And much of the success and, and, and prosperity that we have as a nation was built on the backs of marginalized people, women that didn't have the power to vote, poor people who didn't own land. And so it took all of us to build this great nation so we can't leave anyone behind. We have work to do. As we think about the work we're doing, one of the things I would caution us is to not erase everything. Don't erase the pain. Uh, I know even in Virginia, you know, there's a, a movement to tear down a lot of these old uh, monuments, uh, the Confederate monuments. And I, I wanna leave you with this quote. It says, history is not a burden on the memory, but an illumination of the soul. You know, some of those evil, awful things that happened uh, in the past of this country, we need to remember. Now, I'm not saying that you, we need to have these nice pristine statues uh, sitting all around the place without some message uh, connected to them. But if we, re if we erase all of the ugliness of the past, how are we going to remember not to repeat those same mistakes? How are we, how are we going to remember what brought us to these, this point, uh, to this place in, in time? We can't whitewash history. We can't sanitize it. We need to live with some of the, that pain it needs to be documented, it needs to be shown, it needs to be unveiled, just like as we think about Emmett Till. Had we not seen that young man's face and what was done to him, uh, the civil rights movement as we know it today would not have gone to the places that it's gone to. Sometimes you have to see the evil, sometimes you have to be right up close with it. And so we don't want to silence the voices of good people, people that are working hard in their stories, nor can we silence evil in a way that covers it up, that sanitizes it, that hides it. No, those things have to be opened up. We have to see, we have to look into the soul of this country, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Because voices carry, that truth carries, that pain carries, that hurt will carry us through and allow us to live into that dream of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And so finally, as I close, one thing I want to say is that you is wonderful. Yes, I know that's not grammatically correct, but I was thinking about that uh, uh, that movie, The Help. You know, say you is kind. You know, it's it's, it's real problematic, right? Uh, you is kind. You is good. You is beautiful. But that that one scene says a whole lot about where we are as a country, how we were formed, how we were we were shaped. As as you think about people of color and the role that they played in lives. Uh, of raising the children of others, of the people that oppressed, that oppressed them, that held them down, but they were trusted to raise their, their kids. They were trusted to, to, to make their food. They were trusted to keep their, their houses. We are a wonderful people, all of us. We are wonderful people. We are fearfully and wonderful, wonderfully made by our creator. There are so many things that we can contribute and that we have contributed to our to this society. 
So our voice is important. No matter how we speak, no, no matter our level of education, we all have something to give and contribute. Our stories are powerful. The pain that we've endured is powerful. The, the subjugation that we endured is powerful. The victories that we've endured is powerful. And we have to tell those stories. So don't let anyone silence. I'm gonna leave you with one real quick story. My, for kind of my first um, foray into racism. Or really maybe just understanding who I was as a black, black person. It wasn't necessarily racism, but who I, helped me understand who I was as a black person. I grew up in a Presbyterian church and I was very active. Uh, uh, my church was in historic Fifth Ward, one of the few, uh, really the only, I think, African-American uh, Presbyterian church in Houston at the time. And uh, I would always go to summer camp, show up at summer camp. I was the only black kid there. And I kind of stood, I, I stood out, right? I, I stood out. I, it was it was uncomfortable for me at first and everybody kind of knew who glenn was right because i was the black kid i was the only black kid and something inside of me clicked and said hey if they're going to know who you are glenn you're going to make your voice be heard and so from that point on i decided i was going to be a leader i didn't care if i was the only black kid they weren't going to know me because i was black glenn they were going to know me because i was glenn guy and I had something to offer, I had something to say, that I was gonna stand out, I was gonna be out front. So I encourage you to let your voice be heard. Stand out front. Let the world know that you have something to offer, that you have something to share. And I just, I thank you. Thank you for letting your voice be heard. Thank you for allowing my voice to be heard today. God bless you, go in peace. Glenn, thank you so much for another wonderful world word. Yesterday, you asked us who our people were, and today you're reminding us that we are wonderful. So who are your wonderful people? How about that? So thank you very much. At this time, we come to a time in a program that I am really excited about. Um, in multicultural student services, we always want to be moving and shaking and doing new things, and so we are excited this year to be partnering um, to have a cross-cultural trip for our students from the African diaspora to Ghana. And we have with us um, our trip leader this morning, uh, Ms. Taliba Akil, and she will come and share words with us about that exciting opportunity. And then following her, I will have some announcements. So please give her your attention, Ms. Taliba Akil. Good morning, EMU family and Harrisonburg community, and happy MLK Day. Um, I also always like to use this day um, to remember and honor Coretta Scott King for her love and her support and her sacrifice. In addition, all of the unknown heroes and sheroes who also fought alongside Dr. King for the civil rights movement. So I can stand before you today. We honor and celebrate everyone. 
My name is Taliba Akil, and I am a lecturer at the Center for Justice and Peacebuilding. Um, and I am so excited to speak a little bit about the intercultural um, trip happening to Ghana, West Africa, that Celeste Thomas and I will lead. Um, it's EMU's first intercultural trip, um, and this is specifically for students of color. It is designed to be a healing trip, and I can reassure you that this trip is gonna be so magical and so sacred and rooted in healing, connection, and education around who we are, right? Because the truth of the matter is our history does not begin with slavery. And so much of our history and our story within America is around our resilience and fighting for, right, freedom and justice. And that is such a big part of who we are, but, or may I say, and, there's so much more to who we are as black people. And so this trip is intended to explore all parts of our identity. And why I come to you today is because today is a huge day because we are launching our big crowdfunding campaign to partner with the students of color at EMU so this trip can happen. We wanna make sure that the students feel supported and loved and that they know that there's a community behind them understanding the deep importance of why this trip is meaningful. And so today we launched the crowdfunding campaign and we are about to show you the video. What we need from you, EMU family and Harrisonburg community, we need your support. We need your love. We need you to share this video, share this project, share Ghana, um, the year of return cross-cultural intercultural trip that's taking place this summer from May 16th to June 6th. We want you to share this, this video. If you have anything to offer in terms of money and finances, please give. But the point is that we share and tell this story of why this is so important. Um, and so again, if you have any questions, please feel free to email Celeste or myself. Applications for this Ghana cross-cultural trip is still happening. Friday the 21st is the last day to submit your applications for this trip. I guarantee you it's going to be life-changing and important. And I think it also speaks to Dr. King's dream um, of connecting and healing. Right, and so thank you for listening and here is the cross-cultural crowdfunding video. To me, we are the most beautiful creatures in the whole world, black people. I mean, and I mean that in every, every sense, uh, outside and inside. And to me, we have a culture that uh, is surpassed by, 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 by no other civilization, but we don't know anything about it. My, my job is to somehow make them curious enough or persuade them by hook or crook to get more aware of themselves and where they came from and what they are into and what is already there and just to bring it out. It'll take an, an entirely new approach to restore uh, some kind of racial pride and racial dignity in the minds of the black people. And once we have this pride and this dignity, we can get the cohesiveness and the unity and harmony necessary. 
uh, to solve our own problems here in the black communities. We all need healing around identity. I think for black and brown people especially, whether it be learning about our history and the legacy of slavery, or whether it be watching on TV the attacks against black and brown bodies, or maybe it be a personal experience of violence due to the color of our skin. Being a black person in America has been traumatizing to say the least. And I think especially in this season, we all need rest and healing. And we need to continue to create new narratives around the fullness of who we truly are. Because the truth of the matter is, our history does not begin with slavery. This intercultural trip is intended to be a sacred time of reconnecting to identity and learning about our identity and healing around identity. Ghana, West Africa is so magical and such a beautiful place full of richness and history richness in culture, and richness in community. Honoring the 1619 project that was created by Nicole Hannah-Jones, which speaks to the 400-year anniversary since the first African was stolen from the continent and brought to Virginia. This is not just Black history. This is our history. This is the year of our return. This is our home going. I think this trip to Ghana will be a life-changing experience for the students. And not just because it's, um, it's an experience that will connect them to their history, but I think it also will give them energy to return back to America. When you have a connection to your source, you show up in the world different because there's a confidence, right? And I feel like the same thing can be applied to the identity for black people. When we talk about having difficult conversation, important conversation around who we are and who we truly are, Ghana is ready to hold those spaces. Something activates within our body when we touch that Ghanaian soil of a reminder like this is home. And that is life changing. With this crowdfunding campaign, EMU hopes to offset costs for students of color who wish to participate in the May through June 2022 intercultural program, Ghana, a year of return. This journey to Ghana is intended to be a healing trip for students of color at Eastern Mennonite University who have historical and ancestral connection to the rich continent of Africa. Our learning will explore and honor both the historical pain, the power and the beauty within our identity. By giving a gift to this crowdfunding campaign, you are partnering with students who wish to take this transformational journey that will provide a space for deep healing and deeper self-knowledge. One of my favorite African proverbs is, it takes a village 
to raise a child. And we are really calling on the support and love and the commitment of our village to support this deeply needed journey to West Africa. Thank you, EMU and Harrisonburg community. I'm gonna thank you in advance for your support. So we look forward to that. I have a couple of announcements and then we are going to be moving into our Q&A time um, with our speaker, Glenn Guyton. I would like to first of all thank the Martin Luther King Jr. Committee of Akil Baker, Ezriana Prelo, and Haley Holcomb. We were a small committee this year, but mighty. So I thank them for all of the work um, that they have done. And then I just want to direct you to www.emu.edu slash MLK slash for the remainder of our events for today, which is also inclusive of our final running for this month of Anne and Emmett. If you did not catch it, EMU community on Friday, I will um, implore you to come today and um, embark upon a journey. Um, that I'm sure will be changing for you. So at this time, we are going to have our um, question and answer by Brian Martin Burkholder. He will be um, fielding questions and we'll be having discussion um, with our speaker. Thank you all, and I look forward to seeing you all on Zoom and in person um, the rest of the day. All right, uh, Glenn, welcome and thank you. Um, yesterday's message was powerful today too, um, and so much more happening right now. This Q&A is not just Q&A uh, for, for Glenn necessarily or, or connected with, um, with Glenn Guyton's address, but anything that's happening really, um, I think it's a conversation. That said, um, we're, we're, hoping, we're hoping that you have some questions um, for our uh, keynote speaker, Glenn Guyton. Now, Glenn, do you have Zoom up such that you could see if any questions come up on Zoom? Can't open. Cannot open it? It is open. I do have it open, yes. So maybe just click click on the chat, and if anyone's connecting through Zoom and, and you're getting your questions there, Glenn, you might see it before I will. And, and, and if there's a question there that you're willing to, you know, re rephrase or just um, to share with everyone and then respond to it, that's great. Ezriana is here watching Facebook, uh, the Facebook Live. And so if you're connecting today through the EMU Facebook page, and you can put a comment in there, and Ezriana will speak that into the space. There are about a dozen of us here in Lehman Auditorium, and if any of you have a question, just walk over here toward Ezriana, and you'll get the handheld mic, and we'll go from there. I have, I have a starter question if we're waiting for a few people to, to, to kind of get, get energized here. 
Is there anything showing up, Ezriana or, or Glenn, yet? Not yet. So here's my question. Now, Glenn, you're executive director of Mennonite Church USA, and in that role, also, I'm sure, interacting with leadership of other Christian denominations and, and likely interfaith spaces, uh, leaders of other religious groups. So much of what you, you said certainly applies directly to um, people of faith. And I, I just wonder if there's something where, where you could be even more clear, how and where do you see the good church being silent or doing nothing? Or, or maybe how and where do you see the good church speaking up and making a difference? A another way to phrase it is, where and how do you wish the church or faith communities would speak up and get involved for change and transformation? Yeah, that's a, that's a really complex question, right? It, it depends on our faith traditions. It depends on how we're organized. And, you know, we have uh, many people in the Christian community doing really good work, uh, you know, uh, understanding how to really engage the culture. We do have a history of colonialism, of how we've preached the gospel, how we've stripped uh, people of their um, their cultures in the, in the name of name of God. Uh, you know, you look back on our history of slavery and how that was wrapped in the gospel. Uh, Taliba and I actually went on a, a trip. I think we went to Zimbabwe together. Uh, but I've been to Ghana, been to the slave castle uh, there uh, where they locked up the slaves and right above the where, where they locked up the slaves was a, a chapel, you know, so they prayed and then they went and raped the slaves, you know, so it's, 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 it's we have a complex history. But I think that, it, you know, we, we want to let our voices be heard. We, we have to look at uh, all of us as God's children, but we have to also do the work. So where do our policies and procedures um, marginalize people? Are we really living out our faith or is it more our personal tradition of preserving our power? You know, it, it really just comes to the fact of, uh, I think, following the example of Christ, speaking out against evil, uh, taking risks as, as we interact with, with uh, one another and, and really doing some self-examination and then examining our structures, you know, what's, what's problematic in our structures. And, and it's, tradition in history is, is not bad. That's, that's not what I'm saying. But if we say we're going to be an open, open, open and welcoming community, what are the things that we need to change in order to get there uh, and, and not just be superficial changes? Right, thank you. And Taliba was here nodding her, her head and connecting with you earlier when you remembered being together on that learning trip. Let's see if there's a question either from Facebook Live, not yet, or um, the Zoom webinar. Is there anything showing up there, Glenn? No questions. Chat, Chat. All, right. all right. Do We do want some questions to come, and I have a question for the EMU community. Where and how do you see EMU being silent or doing nothing? Or where and how do you see EMU speaking up and making a difference, a transformational difference? What do you call EMU to on this day in particular, but for all days? So that would be a chance to put something in the chat or something in the comments for um, on Facebook responding to that what work? 
What is our work? And so I have that a question that says, what can people do at the individual level? Um, and, and that's always, right, that's always a question. Uh, as we think about racism and discrimination, there's a systemic aspect of it. But what can you do at the individual le level? I'll give you something really short. As first is just kind of educate yourself uh, from different perspectives. Talk to people that are different from you. Hang out in places where you are uncomfortable, not where you always have the power and authority. Learn and listen. That's, that's a really good first step is to move out of your small, you know, maybe circle that you have, uh, explore, travel, uh, you know, get some of these other pers uh, perspectives, talk to people that are different from you and say, hey, what can I, you know, what can I learn? Uh, where can I go? What, what are you listening to? What are you reading at this time? And then if there's an opportunity for you to intervene when something is going on, you need to intervene. Uh, and that takes practice. You may want to start small, uh, just speaking out against some injustice. Uh, and then you can elevate that as time goes on or as you have more interactions. Keep it coming, if you will. If you, if you post your question or response to my question for EMU um, in the chat or Facebook comments, We got another question. It says, uh, how do you recommend we teach youth to not be silent in tough scenarios? You know, that's an excellent question. Um, you, you know, these social interactions that we have with, uh, with each other is more difficult now because of social media and because of, I think, COVID. This, this new generation, I think, is going to be challenged. But just like anything else, it's going to be guided practice with our young people uh, to, you know, one of the things that I told my, my son, uh, he was when he was younger, someone was bullying a friend of his and he was just silent. And I told him that was unacceptable. I said, now, this is your friend. They're playing a, a prank on your friend and you just sat there and did nothing. I said, and you still got in trouble for it. And so, I, you know, as parents, as, as adults, we have to guide our young people through these teachable moments. That's the only way they're gonna learn. They can read some things in a book, you can have your family values, but you have to reinforce those values as things happen, as you notice things or as you see them interacting with, the, uh, with their friends or if you're watching something on TV, use those as teachable, teachable moments and, and address them directly. Talk through those things with your uh, children as you know uh, young people as they make mistakes as they as they live and grow their lives open to a few more questions if they're coming if not we know that there'll be a lot, lot more opportunities for interacting through the day we get that we don't have to do it all right now here's what it says what wisdom can you offer in terms of not being silent when people wrap god in the american flag uh, i know it's complex that's from from my friend nancy heisen who's very very wise very smart uh nancy that is a tough question you, you know you have to i think one of the things you want to do is manage your energy uh, where can you speak 
uh, into things effectively and make change. You can't just argue with everyone, you know, even with people that are, um, you know, espousing a certain doctrine. I mean, if there are people in your circle, I think you can have those conversations. Say, hey, why do you feel, feel that way? Ask them some questions. Help them think through their belief system, their values. And then you may offer some counter, counterpoints. I don't think you go looking for these arguments on social media or, you know, with strangers. But one of the biggest things we can do is to talk to people that we have relationships with. That's where the problem is of silence. When I see it uh, in the church and other places is that we're that people are silent with folks that they know, that they have intimate relationships with, their family members or people that they supervise. Those are the places where we have the opportunity and the relationship in, that we can uh, effectively uh, you know, institute some change, that our opinion will carry some weight. We need to hold the people that we have relationships with accountable before we start going and trying to change every, everyone else or people that, that we don't really know. If we do the work within our own communities, that would be so powerful. That, that reminds me that we have a, um, a guest professor from Anabaptist Mennonite Biblical Seminary, Dr. Drew Strait, who will be here in February with a, a workshop and seminar on Christian nationalism. It's the same presentation that he did at Mennonite Church USA Convocation, Menocon, um, Convention, Menocon this past summer in Cincinnati. I was there, and, and, and as soon as it was over, I was lined up to talk to him to invite him to EMU. So we can understand the dynamics of Christian nationalism and how to communicate within that, that movement. Uh, so it's a number of questions. One question is, do our words and actions hold the same weight in enacting and moving towards justice and change, or are we better to be silent and do before we speak. Uh, that's from Alyssa. Alyssa, I don't think those are mutually ex exclusive. I think we need to do both of those. We need to speak up, we need to do. Uh, it's not just one, one thing. It's, it's really this more holistic approach. Um, you know, people are asking what resources and materials. I mean, you really just have to Google that. It's tons of stuff out there. Um, you know, the auto autobiography of um, uh, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, those are great books. Um, you know, there are a number of new things that are being written, uh, but really take a look at the, the civil rights movement, not just what you see on MLK Day, but take a look, read some of the history of that movement, of how social change happened in this, this country. I think it will really be enlightening for many of us. You know, we, we see Dr. King nowadays as this hero. We see uh, Muhammad Ali as a hero in some, some settings, but these people were hated. Uh, during their time. Now they're the icons and everybody loves them and has a you know Martin Luther King uh, Day t-shirt. But real time, these people were hated. So think about that now with what's going on and some of the movements that are happening and, and reflect on that uh, and, and try to kind of pull in some of that context of, of history. I mean, it's just amazing. You know, watch some documentaries on Netflix or you know Amazon Prime if you have those. You know, try to get a variety of, of, of resources. We live in the information age, so it's not hard to get information. Uh, it's just making sure that information is, uh, is accurate. So you just need a number of, of sources to weigh things against. I think we'll take one final. Oh, discouraged. Let me. 
Well, let me do that one and say, how do you not get discouraged? You really just have to have a good circle of support, your family, friends. And of course, my faith is one of the things that uh, allows me to have hope. Well, that feels to me like a good final word. I think we will leave it right there. We have so much more going on today. The workshops, the reading circles, um, Ann and Emmett performance again. Um, thank you, uh, Glenn Guyton, for um, blessing us with your prophetic uh, teaching and your energizing presence. Um, thank you, everyone, who's been involved with this convocation today and with the rest of the day. Let's keep showing up. Let's keep speaking up. Let's make a difference.